We are called to something great here. I've said before, we are engaged in the most awesome plan in history. The political parties are all touting their platforms right now. This is my platform. And it is remarkable. And I get to function in it and be part of it. And my friends, we are in the run-up to the kingdom. Soon and very soon, as we sang. And I don't know why we would deny the operations of the Spirit of God. Well, my tradition tells me that's the problem. My tradition. My comfort. What I'm okay with. What I'm used to. It doesn't matter what we're used to. I know we spent 13 years having communion passed out. You know how silly it is that the change that we made to going from passing out communion on Sundays to having the table set up, set up and inviting people to come to the table of the Lord? Think about it. How big a deal really was that? It's not a big deal. I mean, it's really not. All we're really trying to do is just create some space to come before the Lord, to minister one to another, to enjoy the common good of the body, to see each other, to discern the body when we're taking communion together, and to allow the Spirit a little more room in our worship to be at work among us. It's not that big a deal, but it's a change. It's a little change, but it's a change, and change is uncomfortable. And we start talking about the operations of the Spirit, and I know, I know, I can hear the drumbeat. We're getting down to tongues, and it's just going to be a madhouse in here. (laughs) And I'm so afraid of these things. Can I remind you of something? Look all the way back up in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, where Paul says, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And the word by is also probably better translated in. In other words, no one speaking in the Spirit can say Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And so I remind you as we think through these things and and, and call upon the Lord to, to cause us to function and to operate as He wills and as He desires, we have nothing to be afraid of but the fear of the Lord. The only fear that we ought to have with any of these things is the fear of the Lord. And that's a good, healthy fear. Any other fear is doesn't really have to do with what we're talking about. We're looking at the Spirit being in operation among us so that the kingdom is being built up. So why don't we see more miracles? Again, I think we do. We just explain them away to science or medicine or coincidence. And I think every time we do that, even if we just quietly do it in our own minds, the Lord says, missed one. No, we want to see miracles, Lord! But I just, did you not... In fact, it's exactly what happened with Jesus. Do you remember? They came up to Him and said, By what sign do you do these things? Sign? Do you realize how many miracles He had performed in their sight up till then? And then they're saying, Show us a sign. Where have you guys been? Boy, you didn't, did the bread not get to you and the fish? Did you miss that one? Did you not see the man's shriveled hand begin to grab and, and grasp and be useful again? Did you miss that? Didn't you see the paralytic t- stand up, pick up his mat and go home? 
How can you not, how can you ask for a sign? We're still doing it. Oh Lord, I just, I just, if you would just show me a sign and they're all around us, the miracles, the power, the healings, and we say, boy, I'm sure glad we got him to the doctor on time. Well, science explains it this way. Amazing. By the way, there's another reason why people don't see healings and miracles so often. And it is because these are not parlor tricks for our entertainment. In fact, Jesus said, listen, Mark 16, verse 17, these signs will follow those who have believed. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And all of those things we see manifest in the first century church, which is the church age, which is the same age that we're in. Right? But here's the thing. Jesus said these signs will accompany, will follow those who have believed. What was the context? This is Mark 16. What was the context in Jesus explaining that these signs will be manifest, will be in operation? The context was the Great Commission. He was giving the apostles the Great Commission. He was saying, as he would say in Matthew 20, uh, 28, Go into all the world, and the signs will follow, we see in Mark. The miracles, the healings, all of these things, these operations of the Spirit, they're going to follow those who believe as you go. So, do you want to see more miracles? Get out of here! Not now. Stay put. Go! I just, I just want to see God at work. Then Go! Head into missions. Go somewhere where there is no... This church is here by a miracle work of God. Michelle and I moved our family up here because we were tired of budgets and programs and, and all the things that you could do in church because you could do them. Because you had all the resources in the world to make them happen. So we said, let's do something that we have zero resource. And a fear of mine, concern, probably a better word, for our fellowship right now, Jackie and I were just talking about this, is the more we have resources amassed around us, the less we're going to need the Lord. There was a time in this fellowship a decade ago when we had zero resource. Don't trust the resources, my friends. Don't trust what this building can provide. Don't trust what, what, what we can do as we put our heads together and come up with great ideas and plans. Mm-mm. You want to see the Lord at work, you step into a place in life where there is no way it can work unless it's Him. Go, and you will see the miraculous of the Lord. And you could just say, Lord, open my eyes and help me to see a little more clearly. Well, the effecting of miracles and gifts of healings, he continues on. He says to another, prophecy, the propheteia. Propheteia. So it's part of this same power group. And by the way, interesting, prophecy is listed as a gift. There is the spiritual gift of prophecy, Romans chapter 12. Prophecy is listed as a ministry, Ephesians 4, and here as an operation of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12. Do you think perhaps prophecy is big to God? That perhaps it's important 
Paul is going to go on in chapter 14 to highlight its importance among the greater gifts. He's going to contrast actually speaking in tongues and prophecy, and he's going to say, I would much rather prophesy than speak in tongues. And I speak in tongues more than all y'all, Paul says. But I would rather speak one word of prophecy that will edify the body than speak a thousand words in tongues that no one understands. We'll, We'll get there. That's chapter 14. But the prophecy, this is the declaration of the Word of God by the Spirit of God. Prophecy. And it truly is among the greater gifts. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. Paul defines it for us so that we can understand what is this spiritual gift, this supernatural gift, operation, and ministry of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 14, 3. One who prophesies speaks to men for edification. That is building up. Prophecy will build up. For exhortation. That is earnest encouragement. It's not just encouragement. It's earnest You know, it's compelled encouragement. It's really helping someone along in that area, but it's an encouraging word. And consolation, which is comfort. Edification, exhortation, consolation. That's what prophecy is. And it comes of divine design. It is of the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 14.31, Paul says, you can all prophesy. So even though it is a gift... And it is a ministry, and it is an operation, you can all operate in it. Which kind of shuts the mouths of those who say, well, that's not my gift. It doesn't matter if it's not your gift, it doesn't mean you can't function in it. The operations of the Spirit of God are for everybody. And anybody can operate in them. You don't have to be particularly gifted. So prophecy... You can all prophesy one by one, he said, so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. And he says, and this is critical with the operations of the Spirit, the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. What do you mean, Paul? You're in control. You don't fall into some kind of trance that you don't even know what you're doing. And all of a sudden I start speaking words. And I use a lot of these and thou's in King James, so that's how we know it's really God. No. He says, your spirit is subject to you. you got control. You can start. You can stop. You're not like in a trance. And he says, 1 Corinthians 14.33, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Prophecy. It's supernatural. In that, what prophecy does is it cuts right to the heart. It's not just a kind word. Oh, that was cool what he shared. Oh, I kind of like that. It cuts to the heart. But it does so in a way that is consoling. It's exhortational. It it causes me to want to change, but not to feel guilty that I haven't yet. Prophecy. And prophecy often involves both words of wisdom and words of knowledge and what we're about to get to, discernment. All of these tend to function with prophecy. Remember Jesus at Jacob's well. The well of Sychar. And he comes up and the Samaritan woman is there, alone at high noon. And we're told in John 14, 16, after they begin their conversation, he engages her in conversation. Hey, can you give me a drink? And and they start to talk. But then all of a sudden he says this to her. I love it. He says, hey, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. (laughs) Jesus said to her, 
You've correctly said, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, because he prophesied into her life. In that moment, he spoke words of exhortation, encouragement, consolation. And it's so interesting At this chance meeting, it was more than a word of knowledge. He just didn't say something that she knew that he shouldn't have known. He speaks prophetically. How do you know? How do we know that that was a moment of prophecy and not just a word of knowledge? Did the woman feel judged or convicted? Was she rebuked or encouraged? Again, the prophetic word cuts to the heart in a way that is uniquely convicting and comforting and consoling. It's so unique in this. And by the way, Jesus was not only a prophet, He was the prophet. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like Me from among you, from your countrymen, and you shall listen to Him. This is according to all that you asked of the Lord your God in Horeb on the day of the assembly. That is at Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God and let me not see this great fire anymore or I will die. And the Lord said to me, Moses speaking, they've spoken well. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And of course, that's Jesus. The next verse is amazing to me. It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. There are two ways you can take that. One, that if people will not listen to the preaching of Jesus himself, if they reject the word of Jesus, God is going to require that word of the person who rejected Jesus. But you know what? God also required it of Jesus. He spoke the prophetic word of God. That word was rejected. And it was the rejection of that word that sent Jesus to the cross. And at Calvary, God required the rebellion and the sin of the people. He required it of Jesus. He put it on the back of Jesus. The next operation of the Spirit is essential. And that is distinguishing Spirits. The distinguishing of spirits. The distinguishing is diacresis. Spirits is pneuma, but it's pneuma in the plural. Distinguishing. Diacresis, it's discernment. It's also translated judgment. 1 Corinthians 14.29, Paul says, Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others diacrino, pass judgment, discern what was just spoken. Discernment is called for. There is discernment needed in all of these operations of the Spirit. Now others would say this goes even further than that. Further than discerning one another in the natural realm. As John said in 1 John 4.1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Discernment of spirits. Listen, whether natural or spiritual, this is an absolutely vital operation of the church. This is the gift that for me personally, above all others, I pray most for. 
I want the gift of discernment. I want to discern what's going on. I want to know what spirits are, are around us here in the spiritual realm. I want to know what our spirits are doing. Not that I'm sitting around trying to read into people's lives and be creepy. That's not what I mean. But I want to know. If someone's coming at me, I want to discern why. What's really going on here? I don't want to just get all defensive and angry. I want to go, what's going on? Lord, help me discern where their spirit is. If someone's bringing something, someone comes to me and says, Pastor Rick, I have a word from the Lord for you and it's what this church needs to do. Okay, I want discernment to know if that is really from the Lord. And typically my answer, by the way, to something like that is, great, I will pray about that and see if the Lord confirms it. I'll see if He tells me. I'm glad He told you. But trust me, He's going to tell me if it's something He wants me to do. He's pretty good about that. Discernment of spirits. We worship a God who is spirit. Jesus said. And... To do so in spirit and in truth requires discernment. It's not about skepticism or cynicism or being suspicious. It's about discerning. As we talked about discerning the body two Sundays ago. It's not being judgmental of one another. It's discerning what's really going on here. It's being aware of and insightful too. Discernment is needed. Paul said, 1 Thessalonians 5.19, Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. But examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Use your head and use your spirit. And discern what's going on. You see, he doesn't just throw this stuff out there and go, Good luck. Shake it up. He says, discern this. And think it through. Be reasonable. Example, Jesus. And the discernment of spirits. John chapter 13, verse 21. When Jesus had said this, He had just done some teaching, talking about He just washed the, the apostles' feet, and He became troubled in spirit, and He testified and He said, Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray Me. <laughs> Ironically, all of them would. But one in particular. And the disciples began looking at one another at a loss to know of which one he was speaking. And there was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of the disciples whom Jesus loved. We are pretty sure that's John. And so Simon Peter gestured to him and said to him, Tell us who it is of whom he is speaking. And ask him why you got to sit by him instead of me. (laughs) Verse 25. He, leaning back thus on Jesus' bosom, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus then answered, That is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. And so when he had dipped the morsel, he took and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And after the morsel, Satan then entered into him. Therefore, Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. Now, no one of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to him. None of the other apostles got it. They were together for three years. John tells us that during that entire time, Judas was ripping off the money box. Judas was in it for Judas. And through the whole time, nobody got it. Nobody understood. Judas is now leaving in the, in the epic betrayal of all history. Judas is heading out the door, and the rest of the guys are going, Oh, I guess maybe he's going to get some more supplies or something. Not a clue. Zero discernment. Jesus, however please understand, was never 
taken in by Judas. When he called Judas to be one of the twelve, he knew. Because Jesus knew John 2.25. He did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus discerned Judas. Why then would Jesus pick Judas? Because Jesus was Judas' only hope. And if he didn't pick Judas, he was certain to go straight to hell. God, in His grace and mercy, gave Judas three years of intensive fellowship with the Son of God Himself. Why? I believe so as to try to stop him from what he was going to do. But he did it anyway. The point is, Jesus knew he would. I can be fooled. The Spirit of God cannot. And so that's why we pray for, we long for that operation of the Spirit. Oh, give me discernment because, Lord, you're not going to be fooled. I may be, you won't. Divine instruction, divine intervention, and now down to the last one. Verse 10, continuing, divine inspiration, where he says, and to another heteros, to another of a different kind, kinds of tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. Various kinds of tongues, genus glossa, genus where we get the same word, a genus is a classification, a variety of a certain kind, so there's genus glossa, kinds of tongues, and then interpretation of tongues, and that word interpretation also can be translated translation, so the ability to hear a tongue and then to translate it to to speak it in an understandable language. Tongues. One thing is obvious. The church at Corinth had a particular affinity for tongues. They were curious by it. They enjoyed it. They engaged in it, the speaking in tongues, and they saw it as a higher deal, a more spiritual thing. And Paul will really get into it in chapter 14 in major correction. They love speaking in tongues, but not for good reason. Now, I am primarily going to deal with speaking in tongues when we get to chapter 14. But this much I will say to you right now, just by way of setting this up. Paul does not seem to be dealing with the tongues that we see in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 verse 4. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So this was obviously a divine thing. Obviously they were able to speak with differing various kinds of tongues and so they were speaking in tongues. Study Acts chapter 2 out on your own. Understand this. The issue that he addresses, Paul addresses with the Corinthian fellowship in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 is different than what happened in Acts chapter 2. Well, how do you know that? Because at Pentecost, multitudes heard in their own languages, understandably, they heard God being praised. There were at least 16 different languages represented, probably far more than that, but 16 different groupings that are mentioned in Acts chapter 2. And as the Spirit came upon the apostles and tongues of fire appeared above them and they began praising and glorifying God, speaking in other tongues, the other tongues were understood. And that is not what he's talking about in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. We'll get there next week. They didn't need, in that time, an interpreter. You didn't have one apostle talking and the other one going, 
Okay, so what he said was, they were just all speaking, they were praising God, they were glorifying God, but every tongue they spoke was an understandable tongue, an understandable language. And get this, gang, Paul is leading up to an explanation of a phenomena that is not understandable without an interpreter. 1 Corinthians 14, he's talking about something that no one else understands unless you have an interpreter there to explain what is being said. That's not what happened in Acts chapter 2. They were understandable tongues, every one of them. Paul's talking about something else. Furthermore, and before I even say the furthermore, let me just tell you all this. This is completely contrary to my entire upbringing. Okay? What I'm telling you. And my understanding is not based on, oh, well, Rick's an old-time Pentecostal. No, I'm not. I was about as anti-Pentecostal and charismatic as you could get growing up. Well, so are you like, are you all in now? I'm just reading scripture. (laughs) And we're having an argument here and none of you are even talking. This is stuff that is radical to me in my thinking, but I read Scripture and I go, okay, what happened in Acts chapter 2 is not what he's talking about here. Well, how do you know, Rick? Because read it. 1 Corinthians 12, specifically 1 Corinthians 14, you'll see it clearly when we get there. These are not understandable things. The tongues, the glossa that he's speaking of, it's different. And furthermore, he will describe it as an operation that is uniquely self-edifying. Well, the tongues that were spoken in Acts chapter 2 were edifying for everyone because they all understood them and it was all the praise of God. So it blessed and edified everybody gathered there. But in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, this is really, this is for you to edify yourself. It's not for the edification of the church. It's a different thing. We'll talk much more about this, however, for now. The apostle is coming to the greater point. Are you all okay? Are you with me? Okay. And for those who aren't, who are going, what, did he say we could go? No. Okay, just nudge me. 1 Corinthians 12, 11, But to one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Don't miss that. Paul now goes on for 16 verses describing the body that we did on Sunday. One spirit determining which gifts, ministries, and operations are appropriate in the one body. And down in verse 27, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. So if we are Christ's body, but we're all individuals, but we are unified as his body, who distributes the instruments of the symphony? I'm drawing off of last week, the spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ, for to each one, verse 7, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the symphoron, the common good, the symphony. He distributes what is needed, where it's needed, to whom is needed. He gives the ability to play the instrument. It is all Him. And it is all to His glory, and it is all to the common good of the body. So what are you saying, Rick? I'm saying that the operations of the Spirit are not my concern. For all this time we spent looking at them tonight, they're not my concern. Well, what's my concern? Jesus. My concern is Jesus. My focus is the Spirit of Jesus to keep my eyes fixed on Him. And He's going to pass out the instruments. And He's going to raise the baton. And He's going to organize and orchestrate and lead the symphony. I just got to watch Him. Amen. 
And I might suddenly find that I have a clarinet in hand and i got to play because he's telling me play. And when I do and my eyes are on him, it will be beautiful. And I will function in the entire symphony. Verse 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. And you Bible students may recall the flow here. We described it uh, several weeks ago in three tiers. Very quickly, I'll repeat them. Tier one is that which is for the kingdom. That is apostles, prophets, and teachers. Church planters, truth tellers, Bible instructors. That's for the kingdom. Uh, Tier number two, evangelism. That's miracles. For the point of the miracles is not for our viewing pleasure. It is for the evangelism of the word of God. It's getting the gospel out. And then tier three, ministry, which is healings, helps, administrations, tongues, that which is to and for the body of Christ. And if you missed any of that, because I went kind of quick, go back and listen to the recording. Verse 29. Are all not, all are not apostles, are they? Pause. Every question he asks here is rhetorical and it expects a no answer. The phrasing of the Greek expects every one of these gets a no. So let's read it that way. All are not apostles, are they? No. All are not prophets, are they? No. All are not teachers, are they? Nope. All are not workers of miracles, are they? No. All do not have gifts of healing, do they? No. All do not speak in tongues, do they? Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. You have to speak in tongues as evidence that you've been born again. Wrong. Wrong. That is not a marker of spiritual uh, truth. If you haven't spoken in tongues and you clearly haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you clearly have not been born again. I could not disagree more and you cannot show me that in Scripture. All do not speak in tongues. And when he says all, he's talking about the body of Christ. So within the body of Christ, which is made up of saved people, there are those who do not speak in tongues, and they are no less followers of Jesus than those who do speak in tongues. And again, we'll get back to tongues later. Not tonight. For someone who said later, not tonight. All do not interpret, do they? No. I find it interesting that very few people are hungering after the gift of interpretation. But it is one of them. It is a, an operation. He says, verse 31, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. What are the greater gifts? The greater gifts? The context both here and in 1 Corinthians 14 suggest that the greater gifts, if you want to actually say some are better than others, the greater gifts are those which edify the body. The gifts which impact for the common good are greater. Those are the ones to pursue. Those are the ones to... I mean, really, Paul's going to say, desire them all. Desire that you may fully operate in the Spirit of God with all of the gifts. But the greater gifts, these are the ones that edify the body. These are the ones that are for others. As I operate in them, others are blessed. That's a greater gift. And he finishes by saying, and I show you a still more excellent way. And now Paul pauses. And he's about to bathe this whole thing, this whole subject, in the only environment in which all of these operations can function at peak efficiency and value, and that is love.
The way of love. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, But now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 8, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. 1 John 4, 8, The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And get this, love is not a gift. It is not a ministry. It is not an operation. Love is very simply the expressed nature of God in Jesus Christ. As far as I'm concerned, no gift, ministry, or operation can compare with the love of God in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank You for Your teaching tonight, for Your words to us. I pray as we go out, we will consider these things. It's funny, Lord, because I know, especially when we hit on certain areas that, that have been divisive in the church, that have been confusing in the church, that have created uh, one side against the other in the church. When we hit these things, Lord, I always find myself a little uh, trepidatious, a little nervous. But You are a good, good Father. And it is in the context of love that all of these things are discussed. So I would ask tonight, very simply, that when you send us out, you send us out not rejecting those things which are contrary to our traditions, not jumping up and down and hooting and hollering over those things that absolutely confirm what we knew was true, but instead you would send us out discerning these spiritual operations. I pray, Father, that many here will go back to the Scriptures again and again over the next few days and over the next week. That we will look at and consider and ponder these things. That we will make comparison. I pray everyone compares chapter 14 and and Acts chapter 2. And that we will consider what is really being taught here. Not so that we can be full of head knowledge, but so, Father, we can move in the operations of Your Spirit, not denying or rejecting anything that Your Spirit wills for this body. That's what I pray, Father. All of those operations that You desire for our body to function at peak efficiency in the love of Jesus Christ. And it's in His love that we pray right now. Amen. Amen.